Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have lawyer Mark Cooker. He is of counsel at Jacobs Law Group and graduated from Villanova University School of Law. So, Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Pleasure to be with you and looking forward to an interesting conversation. Awesome. Hey, I brought you on today because you are kind of spearheading this lawsuit that is you brought forth representing over 700 independent pharmacies against OptumRx, which is a major PBM player in the field, uh, over the unfair MAC or MAC pricing. Can you kind of elaborate on what helped you kind of start this lawsuit? And if so, like how many independents join and kind of just give us like the, the overview of it? Yeah, well, it started when I was approached by a group of pharmacists in Philadelphia uh, about the problems they were having with MAC pricing, uh, particularly with a PBM then known as Catamaran. Um, And the original uh, issue they came to me with was around 2014 was a time of terrific generic price, drug price inflation. Drugs like doxepin and digoxin and doxycycline were going literally like from a penny a pill to a dollar a pill, or a dollar a pill to $10 a pill. And the MAC price was not changing. Catamaran was keeping the MAC price in place for as much as six months. And these pharmacists were taking huge hits. And they also told me about the, the situation with PBMs generally and, and how PBMs are abusing their power and, and really threatening their entire way of life and their entire business model. So um, um, that's, I spent about a year investigating the PBM industry, talked to people at all levels, all perspectives, and pretty much concluded, and this hasn't changed, it, it is thoroughly corrupt. Yeah. Um, so the lawsuit we brought, um, the, the, the thrust of the lawsuit is three claims. It's actually lawsuits. We brought three of them. Three claims. Um, first is that the MAC price is indefensible when the pharmacy is being paid below its invoice cost. Um, It is indefensible for several reasons. There's language in the contract, that is the provider manual, that says the MAC price is to bear a relationship to the actual wholesale market. And very often it does not. Um, And and also very often the MAC price violates state MAC laws. There have been, I don't know, MAC laws passed in well over 30 states. And for the same reason it violates the contract, it very often will violate a state MAC law. The second claim is that it breaches the contract because it violates the very definition of maximum. Um, We've looked up, MAC stands for maximum allowable cost. You can look up maximum in any dictionary. It always means the same thing. It means the highest or the most. Well, we have a lot of anecdotal evidence that PBMs pay CVS, Walgreens, and their own mail order more than they pay independent pharmacies. And if that's the case, these pharmacies are not getting the maximum, which has been promised to them. Um, uh, Also, that um, there can only be one MAC price, pretty much the same argument. MAC price is a singular. There should only be one MAC price for all providers, at least within a given plan, not 15 different MAC prices within the same plan for the same drug on the same day. Right. So that's the second claim. And the third claim is that we know there are some drugs where they pay the pharmacy MAC and bill the plan for brand. 
We know that happens. We don't know how often that happens. We have some strong suspicions. But as we understand the contract, if the PBM is billing the plan for brand, it has to play the pharmacy for brand also. When obviously, as you can, anyone can figure out where the PBM is paying Mac and billing brand, it collects a gigantic spread, sometimes hundreds of dollars of spread on a script. And we strongly suspect you'll see stuff anecdotally on Twitter, on the internet generally, where pharmacists uh, uh, come up with some evidence that they got paid $15 and the PBM got $300. And we think the only way that could happen is if they build a plan for brand while paying the pharmacy MAC. And we also think that's a violation of the contract. So those are the main claims we're making in these cases. Uh, we've we currently represent over 700 pharmacies. We filed cases in Pennsylvania and Illinois, and we'll probably file in other states as well. Yeah, so that's a huge issue, and it's a very complex issue, as obviously you learned in your year of research. And the crazy part is, is obviously you're a, you've been a lawyer for quite some time, and it still took you a year to research this with all of your knowledge and all of your skill sets, because this is so complicated. This isn't like, as we talked about leading up to the podcast, where your dad owned a little convenience shop. They're a family like mom and pop, uh, little Mart, and their pricing was right there on the shelf. They knew what they were getting paid. They knew what their acquisition cost was. With pharmacies, it matters if you're in a big chain. It matters if you're independent. It matters who the PBM is. It, ma- like there's, it even matters what NDC you pick of the same drug for the National Drug Code. So it's the same drug, right. but there's... You know, this one's billed at this price, this one's paid at this price. And like you said, with the spread, it's kind of all over the place. So we really don't know what we're being paid at that point in time. Then if you throw DIR fees on top of it, there's just so many curveballs. Right. You're playing baseball blind here trying to hit that hit that pitch. Um, can you elaborate on kind of why you, you guys aimed at Catamaran, which now turned to Optum, as opposed to CVS, Caremark, or Express Scripts? Or is that something that's just coming down the pipeline eventually? Well, I, that would require me to get into legal strategy somewhat, um, so I, I really can't. I, I just okay. wanted to uh, add, it also depends upon whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, or commercial insurance, too, because each of those is a somewhat different animal. Um, I can only say that at the time I was hired, the pharmacies who hired me felt Catamaran was the worst of the PBMs and the worst actor at that time. I'm, I'm not going to say that that is still true. Um, the you know, five years later, but, yeah. um, uh, you know, that was, that was the feeling at the time that they were the worst actor that in a time of generic price inflation, they were the most egregious, uh, egregious from their, from the pharmacy point of view, I guess, aggressive from the other point of view. Uh, and that's the reason why we, we were focused on catamaran at that time. I can tell you that currently we are taking long and close looks at CVS and express scripts because there's obvious, you know, you know, we represent 700 pharmacies. We're, and I just have an interest in the subject generally, we have seen horrendous abuse by both of those PBMs. And we are certainly gearing up to take appropriate legal action against them. Gotcha. And that makes a lot of sense. If you want to, if you want to hit the biggest player or the, who's the most egregious, like you said, when it comes to these PBMs, that's huge because if you can point out with the most obvious one, then it could trickle down to the other ones or at least help maybe put them back in line right. a little bit. So that makes sense. And I, I guess that, yeah. I guess I get that now. Um, the one that was, that was actually the, the thought 
that we could we could bang catamaran the other pbms would pay attention yeah part of the thought anyway now i know that there's some other ways that they do pricing too and you know there's awp pricing there's nadac there's mac was there a reason that mac was the focus point of it well see mac is you know it's not they no, they don't they're not paying pb uh, they're not paying pharmacies based on nadac Correct. Or what was the, or uh, I mean, AWP um, average wholesale so, price. Well, yeah, um, there is the AWP discount issue, but basically at, at the, at the time we filed the case and frankly, for every optum contract I've ever seen, generic drugs are the lower of Mac or the AWP discount and Mac is inevitably the lower of the two. Okay. I have not yet seen personally seen a contract where Mac would be higher than AWP discounts. I can't disclose what those discounts are in those contracts. They're under protective orders. Uh, Catamaran would go out and hold me in contempt of court if I gave you any numbers. But, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, um, I can tell you that it, it certainly appears to me that 99% of the time the price paid for the generic drug is the Mac price. And and here's the other issue with that. So if it's an AWP discount. Unless someone's playing games with how you're how you're picking the AWP number, which is my understanding a fairly objective number, it's a Medispan number. Numbers there it usually doesn't change over the life of a drug. It's the MAC that is has a lot of subject some subjectivity to it, okay, and and flexibility to it. And what was going on, and is still going on, is they basically. The, the, the PBMs have a certain amount of discretion in setting the MAC price, but they do not have unlimited discretion in setting the MAC price. Their discretion is curtailed by reasonableness and objective data in the wholesale market. But they act like they have total discretion. They act like they could, they could put a MAC price of one cent on a drug that costs you $10 and get away with it. They, they they see no bounds on their discretion. They argued in court in our case they had unlimited discretion. The judge rejected that <laughs> argument and ruled our way and said, Good. no, you have limits on your discretion. Because if you don't, I mean, this gets, it's not, you know, the whole idea of this relationship from a legal standpoint, this is a contract, right? It's supposed to be a contract. I realize most pharmacies have never even seen their contracts, which is another issue. But in, any contract is supposed to be a two-way street. Yeah. I give something and I get something. It's not I give something and get nothing. It's not a contract that says I will sell you a drug and you will pay me whatever you want is not an enforceable legal document. If that's what the contract says, it is unenforceable. And so a court, what courts do is courts try to save a contract. Look, this is a trillion dollar industry. The courts are very unlikely to say I don't see a contract here. What they're going to say is we have to make this contract enforceable. The only way it can be enforceable is to put limits on the discretion of what they can pay. They can pay anything with maybe within a certain range, but not below a certain range. And that's why we focused on Mac, because when we looked at the contract and look at the criteria, we can see that there's a very clear range. NADAC is definitely part of that range. And we've seen transactions where they pay half of NADAC. Yeah. Less than half of NADAC. Yeah. That's indefensible. That is indefensible. I've seen it some of that too. And, yeah. and the interesting thing with this too is 
you know, we talk, kind of talked about how DIR fees get taken out later, obviously, even after they've already paid you to uh, remunerate everything. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that you, I think you hit on, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but so the generic prices can change pretty quickly, as we've seen with drugs like Colchicine that went generic or went back to brand and then came back as generic and the price was like, I don't know, like 10 times higher. But mm-hmm. the reimbursement for that won't won't change until months later, if not longer. So every time, if you're selling a medication, say it's a hundred dollars a month for an even number, but the the previous reimbursement or the reimbursement they set was at fifty dollars a month, that reimbursement won't change maybe for six seven months later, and then you're losing fifty dollars on every prescription you're dispensing, right there right. just to take care of the patients, which you're obligated to for uh, any number of reasons. Correct. 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 Yeah, and so obviously when you're looking at a population that fills just a ton of prescriptions, you know, whether it be an independent or not, but just the volume of prescriptions we take as Americans, that has just beyond, it's like an exponential on an exponential effect to the finances. Right. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure I understood that point, why it's, why it's such an issue, because that's been like that for years. In fact, I remember, shoot, it was back way back in the day, probably in the late 90s when I just started as an intern at high school or a technician at high school where we, I think it was Medicaid and Workman's Comp were the slowest ones to always pay us. And now it seems like, I, I could be wrong, they're one of the faster ones compared to what some of these PBMs <laughs> are doing. On the other hand, when prices go, you know, um, you know what, what I'd like to know is whether they uh, are, I have a feeling that they, when the wholesale price goes up, they raise their price to the plan a lot yeah. quicker than they raise their, raise their price to the pharmacy, which is another form of abuse that is really inexcusable. Well, and the thing of it is, is every one of these PBMs now, like these major ones we're talking about, they all own some sort of a pharmacy, whether it be mail order or, you know, through whatever it is with the insurance, since a lot of them have been bought up by insurance companies. So it's not like they're not aware of it. Like they can't claim like blissful ignorance in this because they know they're seeing it. Now they might have a better negotiated rate because of their, their power and their Mm -hmm. scale, but they saw the price go up. You know, even if it goes up maybe a week later for them, like that might be in the re- the realm of, okay, I can understand, but we're seeing months where that type of thing goes on and they know it. There's, there's no way they don't know yeah. it. Right. Um, so is there, is there any sort of intent behind this or is this just like the best way for PBMs to optimize their profit? Is it just because, Hey, they're facing wall street numbers and they got to keep cranking out those numbers to follow the Gordon Gecko <laughs> method of greed is good. Or kind of like, is that the only <laughs> message behind it here that we're seeing from the PBM side? Well, you know, I think a lot of pharmacies suspect that someday, well, certainly CVS Caremark, CVS would like to write every prescription in this country. Yeah. You know, their, their goal is to be the only, you know, you know, <laughs> the, 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 we won't have the word pharmacy anymore. We'll just have the word CVS. I'm just going to the CVS. I'm not going to the pharmacy. <laughs> that's the only pharmacy there is. I think there's, it's pretty obvious that's, that's their goal. But I do think that um, they want to drive as much business to their own pharmacies as possible they're constantly finding ways to steer more business to their mail order. Clearly, they're trying to monopolize specialty as much as they can. That's a big, you know, that's probably the single biggest growth area in the industry. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and at every step of the way, they do everything they can to keep control over specialty. So, yeah, I think I think part of the agenda is uh, they're not going to shed a lot of tears uh, if these independents uh, do go out of business. Um, you know, because, uh, it, it, they see some of that revenue coming to them. So yeah, it's, it's, but the bottom line of all of it is greed, obviously, you know, the bottom line of all of it is, you know, in, in, in a well-functioning capitalistic free market, 
you know, A, there's consumer choice. B, there's transparency, which is here there is zero. And C, everybody gets to make a living. You know, it, the, the old idea of the invisible hand is, okay, I, I get what I want, you get what we want, you get what you want. But now you have this massive combination of power, total lack of, total wall of secrecy around everything. You know, I got to tell you, I, when I started my first year, my investigation, here's the number one question. I'm going to ask you this question. What does a drug cost? <laughs> that depends. Can you answer that question? <laughs> There's no straight answer to that, unfortunately. That's going to depend right, on some right, of the factors. Right, right, right. I mean, that's, so my dad, who was who had a candy store, right? Hey, he knew what he was paying for a Hershey bar. He knew what he was selling the Hershey bar for and everything else. You buy for five, you sell for seven. You buy for five, you sell for 10. Okay. First thing that hit me, and I, I, I've asked every everybody, what does a drug cost? It should be completely transparent. And then you get the other thing. What does the PBM pay the pharmacy for the drug? What does the plan pay the PBM for a drug? All of this should be transparent and open so everybody knows where the money's going. This is just this is just needed for a well-functioning marketplace. And it is gone. It is it is we have trillions of dollars going down a rat hole. No one knows where it's going. And one thing we're trying to do is litigation is put some cracks in the walls of secrecy also. Because we're subpoenaing stuff, we're getting information. Unfortunately, we can't share it yet. Because it's under protective order, but you know this industry needs secrecy to survive, like you and I need oxygen. And with all this wall of secrecy, you know they've been able to get away with what is, in all likelihood, an insane amount of profits. I'm going to tell you something I heard from a confidential source, who at one time owned a PPM. Can't tell you his name, but correct. He said the following. He said, if you look at the 10K, and this was maybe three years ago. He said, if you look at the 10K of a PBM, you'll see they average three to four dollars in profit on every prescription. He said, that's like Visa getting three to four dollars in profit every time you swipe your card. Yeah. Because basically what they do is process claims. No, I knew they do. They do formularies. They do this. But bottom line, you know, three to four dollars Think about it. They don't touch a drug. Yeah. They don't touch the drug. They don't counsel on the, the drug. Yeah. Chain, right? They don't touch the patient. They don't see the patient. They don't talk to the patient. And they certainly don't service the patient. And they're getting three to four bucks. And I mean, and, and I don't know that that, uh, that number today may be a low-end number. I didn't go back and check, check that. I, I did check the 10K after I had that conversation with him. This was probably three years ago. And he was right. Hmm. He was right. So, so you know, it's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. And 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 my only point is, I'm not. I'm never going to tell anybody litigation is a panacea, but it is a very very underutilized tool in this battle that pharmacies are waging for their survival. You know, that's crazy because if they're making three to four dollars a drug, and we can assume it went up, even if it's just four to five or six, whatever right. it is now. Right. But that's just what the PBM's making. And now if you're directing them to your own mail order pharmacy and you're buying it at a lower price because of your power, you truly have a vertical integration and basically an oligopoly with the couple of PBMs that we have on top of a, a 
you know, top to bottom monopoly of the supply chain with everything except I think drug manufacturing. When you look in the case of CVS Caremark, where they own the pharmacy, the insurance, and the PBM. So transparency is huge there. I, I kind of look at them as the standard oil of pharmacy, except I don't think Larry Merlo is quite as philanthropic as John Rockefeller was. <laughs> But, well, you know, that's that it's it because, you know, I, that was also before we had the vertical integration of Cigna merging with Express Scripts, correct? And CVS merging with Aetna. Um, I think at that point, um, United Healthcare Optum had merged with Catamaran. But um, yeah, I mean, well, the inter- here's the interesting thing about Standard Oil. Okay, first of all, they broke it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very broke, aggressively. You know, it, it, they wound up getting big, you know, because you, I, I'm young enough to, I'm old enough. Remember when you had Standard Oil of California and Standard Oil of Indiana, and as well as Standard Oil of New Jersey. But secondly, that's an interesting topic for the following reason. There, I, this, this may be a, a digression. You know, I'll let you decide if you think it's relevant to our discussion or not. So when I started doing legal research into the issue of pricing. You know, basically, this is what under normal circumstances would be considered an open pricing term. There are other contracts where um, one party dictates the price. Okay, this it, it is not unique to the pharmacy industry, the PBM industry, where the PBM dictates the price of the pharmacy. The other industry where it was actually happens quite often is the gasoline and oil industry. Oil comp- back in the old days when they had independent gas stations, the oil companies would dictate the price to the gas station of what they would pay for gas uh, under under their under their agreement. And yet, but you know, a there was a very transparent market for what a barrel of oil costs or gas costs. And b there's a lot of litigation which sets standards and limitations for how abusive the oil companies could get. You, you may remember a day when independent uh, gas stations were being threatened, they filed lawsuits. So, so there's actually a lot of legal precedent in that area. And ultimately, you know, there were rulings that says, no, you just can't run all over and to pick any price you want. You have to look at the market. There's a market price. You only have so much flexibility in setting the price. So anyway, I don't know if that's pertinent or not, but it came to mind when you mentioned Standard Oil. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. And actually, being in Cleveland, we one of our, I think our second or no, it's probably Ohio. Yeah, it's our third tallest uh, building. Is the it was the Ohio right. building before it was ever finalized as BP, and obviously now it's Huntington Bank. But you know that just is like the the monument to me whenever I look at it of what oil right. can do with some of these pricing tactics and the PBMs are just as bad right now, if not worse. So I, I wonder how tall their scra- skyscraper would be if they felt like building one. Oh, gee, well, you know, we always, <laughs> we always, we always used to say the biggest buildings were the insurance company building. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's true in most imagine. cities. I think of John Hancock in Chicago's, I think only second to Willis tower. Um, anyway, I got a couple right. questions here to wrap this up. Sure. This one's sure. going to be a little bit gray, but I want your as concise of an answer as you can. Do mm-hmm. you believe PBMs serve a purpose or they should just be eliminated because of the amount of issues they've created within healthcare? The only purpose I think they serve, legitimate purpose they serve is, is claim processing. Um, I, 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 I don't see it. I really don't. Especially, especially it's a bit, you know, if you really think rebates are not a good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think rebates just, again, are more lack of transparency and, billions of dollars going down a rabbit hole no one can trace um 
I, I have a lot of trouble seeing it. I, as you probably know, West Virginia kicked out the PBM for its yep. Medicaid plan and saved a bundle of money. I believe Caterpillar kicked uh, its PBM out and saved a bundle of money. So I was utterly astounded when I was first uh, looked into this. I said, you mean my Blue Cross doesn't actually handle my drug claims? No. <laughs> Blue Cross, I mean, you mean Blue Cross outsources all the drug claims to some other company? I was shocked. I had no idea. None. Yeah. I, so I, would, I don't understand why that why that's why that's necessary at all. I would bet that if you looked at and just did a survey, I'd say probably like ninety eight percent of Americans, maybe a little bit less, or don't even know what a PBM is or who processes their claims. They think the same thing you did there. So I'm not Correct. shocked at all. And the rest were either Correct. work in healthcare or in the industry. Correct. Um, all right. So there's a couple of questions I ask everyone who comes on here. And you being sure. a lawyer, I think this is gonna be a very different uh, answer than we see with a lot of pharmacists. If you could change one thing about pharmacy, not legally, but just one thing about pharmacy, what would it be? Well, if it, by pharmacy, you mean the totality of the industry, including PBMs and drug drug companies, yeah. not just the farm pharma- transparency. I, 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 you know, there's a, a brand justice Brandeis had some comment about, I forget the sunshine cures or ills, complete transparency of the money flow. When people see where the money's going, the market has at least some ability to correct itself. There is none with all these NDAs and confidentiality agreements and every everything shrouded in secrecy. It is a hundred times harder to yeah. break through. I, I like that. And I don't think there's anybody who wants to fix healthcare who doesn't agree with that statement, at least to some extent. Uh, last one here. If you could change one law about pharmacy, state or federal, what would it be and why? The law I would change is the Federal Arbitration Act, believe it or not. It has nothing to do with pharmacy. It has everything to do with access to courts and ability to vindicate your rights. The Federal Arbitration Act has been used by PBMs to make it to deny access to the courts, to pharmacies, with oppressive and unconscionable arbitration clauses that make it insanely costly, even for one pharmacy, to vindicate its rights. Um, the Supreme Court has made some really bad decisions under that law, and um, the law, either the court needs to change or the law needs to change, because right now the, uh, the effect of these arbitration clauses, if they are enforced, is basically to create an economic death sentence for any lawsuit. Our main issue in these cases, and not proving we're right, we can prove we're right, our main issue in these cases is beating the arbitration clause. That's our biggest obstacle. You know, so that's what I, from my perspective, that's what I would change. You know, I didn't think about in terms of pharmacy, but I know it almost anywhere, at least around me, if you buy a car anymore, it says, you know, you can't sue them under whatever policy. It must go to arbitration. And I forget what the fee is for like the legal fee, but it's like a thousand dollars an hour or something that no one's ever going to be a, able to afford. It's also in every credit card agreement you have. Yeah. Uh, your cable TV, your cell phone, you name it. You've got a class action ban and a, a blockbuster arbitration clause that will make sure that they can do whatever they want to you and you can't do anything about it. Awesome. Well, that's one no one's mentioned on here for sure. And that's definitely a very lawyer, lawyer one to, to mention. But I'm glad I, to add I a like different it. perspective to your, <laughs> uh, to your audience. Yeah. Hey, again, um, if, you got, if anyone wants to find him, he's all over social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. I've connected with him through Twitter numerous times. Uh, Mark Cooker, that's C-U-K-E-R. Uh, he's a lawyer. He works with specialized in this type of stuff. So if anyone needs to reach out to him, if you're independent listening or 
you have questions just as a pharmacist. He's obviously very knowledgeable on this sort of topic, but there are some limits to what he can discuss with ongoing litigation, obviously. Uh, but, you know, Mark, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, and as always, for everyone, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Thank you.